you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the iFreak Show. We don't have much of a panel today. It's just me. This is James Uber. I'm calling in from Minneapolis, Minnesota, but we do have a guest today that I'm very excited about bringing on the show. Please welcome Jonas Kalb. Hello from Sydney, Australia. So you're calling from the future. Is that right? That's right. It's a quarter to eight in the morning right now. That's amazing. So how are the stocks doing? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll text you privately, let you know. That's right. I don't want to don't ruin it for everyone. But I, I, I ran into Jonas uh, online through his work with a number of uh, open source projects that I've been using recently with the team. Uh, one was Xcode Gen, but he's also got Mint and Beam. Can you tell us a little bit about, about those projects? Yeah, sure. Um, we can go into them in a bit more depth if you like, but um, basically Xcode Gen is a Swift command line tool, and it is basically used to generate your Xcode project files. And it uses a um, sort of a, a YAML spec that you, you write and define your targets and build settings and stuff like that. And then it, it looks at your um, file directory and basically generates your project from that. Now, if our audience is a little bit like me, like, why, why bother? We have Xcode, yeah. we can modify files, it's not been a problem. Uh, why even create an Xcode gen? Yeah, there were a few reasons, actually. One of them, at the beginning, I'm sure many people know, there's a big pain in merge conflicts in Xcode project files. Um, you know, someone might add a file in one branch, or might delete, delete one in another, and then you have this merge conflict. There are ways of getting around that. You can sort of set some Git merge strategies um, using, you know, merge union in your Git attributes file, but um, it doesn't always work. So with Xcogen, basically, you can remove your project file from Git entirely and just generate it on demand. But there are other reasons. It's especially useful when you have complicated setups. So you might have, you know, multiple configurations, like not just debug and release, but, you know, you might have a production and test and staging and you have debug and release versions of all of those. And trying to keep that all in sync and set up correctly can be a pain or you know, targets that cover multiple platforms, like you might have a, a framework in iOS and tvOS and, you know, watchOS and trying to create them and everything can be a pain. Um, and also just dealing with complicated sort of dependency hierarchies. And, you know, this 
this target needs this target, which has this dependency and that Carthage thing. And, you know, basically it makes a lot of that easier to use and a bit more declarative than sort of trying to figure it out all in Xcode gen, in uh, Xcode, sorry. Yeah. Okay. Well, that makes sense. No, I've, I've been using it, I've been using Xcode gen for past few weeks in a project with a fairly big team, uh, you know, I think at least 20 developers. And I have mm-hmm. not once had to go down and do an Xcode project and you have to tweak the copy paste the you know the file and cut there and do merge things that we have to do so for that thing I think it's 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 really solid um, but how do you how do you define like what files are included in the Xcode project or what happens to the Xcode project well in terms of the files that's the nice thing and that you can just point at, at a source directory and it'll automatically create all the the files and the groups for you so that's another advantage is that your file directory is now synced completely to your project directory. To be fair, that has gotten better in Xcode 9. Previously, before that, if you created a group, it wouldn't create a folder on disk. But now that has changed, and if you drag files around, it will actually move the files on disk. Um, So that has gotten a bit better in Xcode 9, but it does still help in that area. So yeah, you basically pointed at some files, and it automatically figures out, okay, there's a Swift file, This this will go into this sources build phase and you know this is a header file and all that you can also define you know specific rules about what goes where and everything but usually in most cases you can just point it at a directory and it'll work it all out okay that makes sense so all the files from your file system um, be created into the xcode project this might seem weird if you're used to coding in you know ios and mac apps and xcode but the if you're doing a command line app with swift the kind of works this way. You just create the file, drop in the directory, and it goes. Yeah, it's similar to how the Swift package manager works, if anyone has worked with that. Basically point to a directory, and they, these are my source files, and it automatically generates that. There's no sort of manifest file sort of uh, compiling every single file in your project. Okay, so what's the output of the Xcode gen tool? It is actually just an Xcode project. So that contains the PBX project file. It contains all your schemes that you can define as well. Yeah, you can still have you know your private settings there, and it won't overwrite them. Um, you know your your breakpoints or anything like that. But yeah, it's basically a project file. Okay, so you run the script. It creates your own project file. Does it also create a workspace? Uh, no, it does not. Um, so you can create your own workspace that then just includes that project file. And then you can create, you can actually generate multiple projects using different specs, um, and then put them all in the same workspace. Okay, and so then you just open the project file from there. Yep. Yeah, no, I've been I've been a big fan, and you know, I, I was initially pretty skeptical that this was just an extra step that really wasn't needed. But and I thought like just running the tool might be a little problematic, especially if you do a lot of branch switching. But it's just part of my Git flow now. You know, I'll do a Git checkout or a rebase or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'll run the Xcode gen, you know, run the command line, um, and it works fine. So uh, I've been pretty happy with it. Yeah, great. Yeah, you can put it in a, in a Git in a Git hook or anything. But also, some people I've noticed they also choose to check the project in anyway, and then use the other, you know, use the other advantages that come with Xcode gen. So if there's a conflict, they just basically rerun Xcode gen. But all their sort of the way they've defined everything still lives in this spec file. Okay. So, what are the benefits of doing of checking in your Xcode project or, or not checking it in? 
Um, the benefits are basically you do not need to regenerate every time you check out a branch that may have new files, for example, because it just behaves like normal. But then obviously the downside is that if you create a file, then it will add that to uh, the project. But then if someone else checks that out and regenerates, then suddenly that file may have a different ID or something in the project file. So you'll, there's a bit of churn there, basically. So it is recommended to not check it in. But also saying that some people sort of regenerate the file on a git commit hook, which then makes sure everything is clean and proper before it actually goes up to the repo. That's another way to do it. And then if you do check it in also, you have some sort of oversight over what has changed because you can see the diffs, which some people appreciate. Okay, that makes sense. So what do you use to describe the the format that uh, Xcode gen? If I want to add a, you know, a, a build setting to what would normally be in the Xcode project, uh, how, do I, how do I do that? Mm -hmm. So the project spec, you can write in either YAML or JSON. And for the build settings, as you know, in a target, you could say these are the build settings, and then you write the build setting name and the value. And you can get quite complex and sort of for specific um, configurations, use this build setting, or for specific uh, presets, you can use this build setting. There are a few sort of ways to set up that. To get the actual name of the build setting, because if people have been using Xcode, they may not be familiar with what the actual build setting name is. You can actually, in Xcode, if you're looking at a at the build settings page, you, you can go to editor and then show definitions, I believe, and that will actually show you the sort of raw title of a build setting as opposed to the sort of formatted uh, localized value. Um, and that can help you sort of bring in any settings you wish. And there's actually Apple just released a, um, some documentation on uh, all the build settings, which we can put in the release notes, but it's very valuable. It goes through all the, all the settings, their, their names and their actual setting titles and tells you exactly what they do. So it's actually been a long time coming. I'm glad they finally added that. Um, okay. So if, if you're generating SQL projects and let's say you're something like CocoaPods, which does a lot of things to, uh, to mess with your uh, Xcode projects, does that work? Does Xcode Gen work with CocoaPods? It does. Basically, you generate your project with Xcode Gen, and then you would run pod install, which would then sort of integrate the required changes uh, by by uh, CocoaPods. Um, okay. So that all works fine. Interestingly, with Carthage, it also works, and is also sorry, also a much sort of better experience because um, usually with Carthage you need to manually sort of drag the projects in and then add a build script that sort of copies over the uh, the files and, you know, gets rid of the architectures you don't want. And basically, in Xcogen, you can just define the Carthage dependencies for your targets in the spec, and it'll automatically do everything for you. So it actually becomes easier to use Carthage. Uh, very cool. And so what are some more obscure things you can do with Xcogen? Oh, I find one of the useful things is having schemes that use sort of configuration variants. So like I mentioned earlier, you may have a, a test staging and production environments, and you can have debug and release versions of those. 
So you end up with six different configurations. And then you can generate schemes for your environments very easily. So you can say, hey, here's a scheme for for production, and it'll automatically create a scheme where you know the build action does a debug production and the release action does a, a release production config. So it makes it very easy. Something else, you can actually sort of split your project file up into multiple files. This lets you reference them and then use them in other specs. So you could have a sort of a common thing that you use in a few projects um, or some common build settings that you can sort of abstract away and then share with other projects. So how did you start the project? Basically, I was, like I said, there was the pain of the merge complex and everything and some complicated setups I wanted to manage and actually had a look on the internet for anything that did this. And there, there are some projects that exist, actually, that already do something similar. Uh, one is Xcake and the other is Struct. They, they're quite similar. They're actually both written in Ruby. But at the time, they neither of them really did everything that I wanted them to. And um, I also, being in Ruby, I mean, Ruby is a great language, but I thought if it was in Swift, that sort of can empower other developers to sort of contribute back to the tools. Because in the end, you know, iOS developers are mainly using Swift. So if they can actually use that same language to contribute back to the tools that they use in their workflow, that's sort of a better experience and sort of helps the community. Yeah, that's good. I, I, I like that approach. Ruby is a great language and I've done a lot of cool things with it. But when, like, when I'm writing like tools and scripts, I'm generally not writing as many tests as I probably should be. And mm. you get something that's larger, Ruby, and you're not writing tests, Ruby can get unwieldy. And I really like Swift for a lot of uh, writing tools. I think it's a really cool language. I like it for a lot of things. It's the right uh, right way to approach a lot of problems. And so I like seeing more tools in Swift. So that's And, you know, many of us don't come from a Ruby background. You know, I've done some of it, but I'm definitely not a, a Ruby expert. And, you know, a lot of us haven't done any at all. So it's good to see more Swift. Swift yeah. Yes. It's interesting how Ruby sort of became the de facto language for, for iOS tooling in a way. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how that happened. It just, uh, hmm. I mean, it's a good scripty type language, but I don't know why I got so much headway. Maybe CocoaPods has something to do yeah. with it. Yeah, CocoaPods and Fastlane, I think, are the two heavyweights in that space, I guess. I suppose those are the ones that almost everyone uses or has used. Mm. But how is Swift for, for writing you know, tools like this? Oh, it's great. I mean, you get all the benefits of Swift as 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 you as you would when you're running your iOS apps. I mean, um, you know all the type safety and all the generics and all the all those advantages. Yeah, it's been really great. And I think the when writing Swift command line tools, it works really well with the Swift package manager. And if anyone's looking to write any command line tools, I think that is definitely the way to go by defining it as a Swift package. That makes sense. So, what are some some differences for people that are used to iOS and Mac apps writing a you know command line tools. I think the biggest difference is not really having to worry about threading or anything like that. Basically, you can run everything in the same, like on the main thread, and things will just happen. And and if you know if you have to wait for some long running process, that's normal. It just you know pauses in the command line. You don't have to do things asynchronously. So it makes it a lot simpler, really, in, in that sense. And obviously, there's no UI. All the output is basically just text. 
and you know you can make that pretty with colors or emoji but in the end it's just strings really so um, you don't have to mess with graphics or anything like that okay are there any libraries that you use for like input and output that this type of stuff yeah there's a few on this on the scene as it were um there's some good ones so swift shell shell out they're good ones for sort of running other shell commands within Swift. But one I've been using recently, actually, uh, Swift CLI. That's by Jake Heiss. And that actually, that does the same, but it also includes within that a way to basically define your all your commands that you have um, in, a, in a very novel way, I find. So, you know, you might have a different command which have different options and you know, you get automatically generated help for those commands. There are other tools out there like Commander and Commandant and stuff. But yeah, I've really been liking Swift CLI. Okay. And you just grab those from the Swift Package Manager? Yes, exactly. So all these sort of system frameworks, a lot of them um, integrate with the Package Manager, which is great. That's very Swift cool. Package Manager. Yeah, I got a chance to hack on some stuff uh, using the Swift Package Manager, and I enjoy working with it. So I really hope it gets to the point where we can use it for our, our bread and butter day-to-day -day iOS and Mac apps, but I'm a fan, so if you haven't had a chance to play with it, uh, definitely check it out. I, I enjoy working with it. Yeah, definitely. And there's quite a few command line tools out there now, which is great. And that's sort of because I also have a few command line tools that I work on uh, in open source, and I found that sort of installing them was not always so easy, um, especially when you have versioned uh, tools, so you can use things like Homebrew and stuff, but that doesn't support versioning all that well. So I actually created this other tool called Mint, which is itself um, a Swift command line tool, but it what it does is basically build, install, and run other Swift command line tools that are defined with the Swift Package Manager. So that's been really useful to sort of keep things in sync and uh, run the right tools. So what are some applications... Uh, for Mint? So basically, say you depend on something like Xcode Gen or maybe Swift Gen, which is another great library out there, a uh, tool. It's a way to sort of make sure you're using the right version for those tools so everyone's kept in sync and also being being able to run those tools easily. So you can have a Mint file that basically says, okay, I'm using Swift Gen at this version. And then you can just say, run SwiftGen, and it'll go and install it if it's not installed, um, and then basically run it for you with all the commands that you, you pass it like normal. Okay. So if you're a team of developers and you want to make sure your tools are running the same thing, Carthage or whatever, you would just uh, create a mint file and drop it in your, in your Git repository? Yeah, basically. I mean, you don't need the mint file. That's just a sort of way of declaratively checking in your dependencies. You can also just run tools just ad hoc, saying, oh, run this in this, you know, whichever directory you're in. But yeah, the mint file is a good way of keeping it on sync. Okay. What what are some cool things people are doing with Mint? Like, what, what more applications are they, are they doing? Yeah, it's basically if you have a command line tool written in Swift with the package manager, you can basically... It'll work out of the box. Anyone can install your tool. So in your installation instructions, if you have something you know open source, you can say, hey, you can install this with Mint. 
instead of, for example, homebrew, or you might have a custom installation script or something like that. Um, okay, so this is something that works alongside homebrew or would replace homebrew? It basically is, a, is an alternative to homebrew um, just for Swift packages. Okay, and the main benefit is better versioning, which I, I agree, homebrew does not do well if you want multiple versions or you want to switch between different versions of things. That's right. Uh, yeah, with Homebrew, you can only install one version at a time, and there are ways you can sort of switch versions, uh, but only if you had them previously installed. And then, you know, if you have two different projects that use different versions of the same tool, you have headaches because you're constantly switching. So, yeah, in, in Mint, everything is built and installed to a specific version, and cache in a central place, so you can run any version of that tool from anywhere. Okay. Is, when you have to switch between versions of a tool, is there any any setup you have to do, or does it just, just work? No. You, you just say, I'm running, and say, mint run Xcogen at this version, and it'll run it. Okay. Um, you, you can also link a specific version sort of globally, so you don't have to prepend it with mint run. You can just say, you know, install Xcogen, and then you can run that from anywhere, but that will be a single version at a time, similar to how Homebrew works. Okay, well, very cool. No, I'm looking forward to checking that out. That seems like a nice nice tool for that. And that's also written Swift? Yeah, that's right. So <laughs> it's sort of meta. You can install and update Mint with Mint itself, which is interesting. <laughs> that's when you only have a good tool. <laughs> you can install yourself. Yeah. So let's. So what's the, the the third thing that you've been working on lately? Still a lot of Xcogen. Um, that's probably the biggest one that I've been working on. But there are some other tools that I get to now and then. It's just about finding time to do open source, you know. Definitely. So, but how do you find time to do open source work? I don't know. I just do. <laughs> a lot of them were started sort of. I don't know, a year and a half ago. And um, I was fortunate enough last year to be able to, um, I was traveling for a year and working remotely, which I've, I've done a couple of times. But um, and this time I sort of, while I'm traveling, I like to work um, just part-time. So I had some time to sort of work on other projects. And um, a lot of that was these open source ones. But now that I'm back in a sort of full-time job, it's just, you know, finding the time on, you know, after work or weekends to sort of work on them. And luckily, a few of these projects have a lot of contributors, which definitely helps. You know, I think Xcogen has um, over 30 contributors at this point, which is nice. Um, so they also keep the project sort of moving forward, okay. which is very helpful. How did you find your contributors? Did they, they show up? Did you recruit people? They just were people who, you know, opened pull requests and then, you know, once they'd opened a couple, it was like, hey, you know, would you like to become a contributor? Like, yeah. And it sort of added people along the way. And yeah, that's, that sort of goes back to what I was talking about before about, you know, people feeling empowered to contribute to these things because, you know, it's written in a language they understand. No, definitely. I think, I think Swift definitely makes it easier for, you know, your iOS developer to submit to a, a project. Mm. Um, any other tips for running projects if people want to start their own thing and have other people help out? Hmm. You mean open source projects? Yeah. I think, you know, getting a good readme is definitely paramount. 
you know, first off explaining, you know, what it does, how it works, how to contribute, sort of just some basic info that people can can read first off to really understand what's going on. And then, you know, documentation is always helpful in your code so people feel, you know, they understand what's going on. Yeah, and just having sort of a friendly community and, you know, being friendly in people's PRs and giving good feedback and, yeah. Okay, so you're, so you're writing these, this code, you're on your remote worker, so where, where are you working from? I mean, did you need a time um, or something? You know, on a beach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was there for a while, actually. Okay. So you're sitting, um, on, a beach, yeah. you're sitting on a beach in yeah. Thailand. You're trying to work part-time, and you're writing some code. And I know this is the situation where I just want to hang out on the beach. I'm not really worried that much about clean code documentation. Um, how do you motivate yourself to do documentation and clean code when there are so many other things you could be doing? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> just get it done I guess I mean code documentation I find to, to, to be honest I don't write that much code documentation usually really complicated things obviously it's good to have some documentation about how that works but also I should say tests is maybe more important having a good test suite is definitely good because if someone contributes you know a PR and the test break you know, then you, you can validate that and go, well, actually, this needs to change. And things don't sneak in that suddenly break everything. So having good test suite is definitely important, I would say, in open source software. Okay. That makes sense. I, I just know that when I'm packing on my own time, I'm not always that worried about co-quality and tests and all that. So it's good to see people being grown-ups on their on their spare, spare time projects. So that's good to see. <laughs> And I guess like everything, it's a, it's an evolution. So, you know, you may start very simple and not have much in there, but as time goes on and more people come on, you know, getting those things nailed down is quite important. Okay. So another project you've been working on is Beak. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. That is actually another Swift mainline project. <laughs> I'm talking um, a trend here. <laughs> yeah. So Beak basically lets you interact with a Swift file, like a Swift script, via the command line. So, for example, you can have a Swift script that has a whole bunch of public functions in it with parameters and everything, and you can call that function from the command line. So this can be used for just normal scripting. It is also quite useful for replacing tools like make or rake, where you have like a make file or a rake file, and you define your different steps or tasks, you could, you could now do that in Swift. And you can say, you know, list all the functions in this file and all the parameters, and then you could you could run one as well. So, you know, you could have it as part of your build process, you know, you could do big run, build, or, or whatever. Okay. What are some examples of things that people are doing with Beak? The ones I've seen, uh, yeah, basically these um, replacements for a make file. So just part of the, the scripting and, and build workflows. So you might have, you know, in your open source software, you might have different steps to sort of manage the release of that. So you might have, you know, an update version, which would, you know, uh, change the version file in your, in your tool and uh, tag that and then commit it to GitHub, or it might 
format some code or it might uh, build something or push something to homebrew or also all those sorts of things that you need to sort of run on a regular basis. Okay, so if I had a quick Swift, Swift script that, you know, just made a customized version number like you mentioned, how would I add that to my project? Does that go into the, in the build phases or how does that work? You could do that actually, yeah. I haven't actually done that before, but that's definitely a possibility. You could run your your Swift script from a build phase, but uh, you can also just run it. You can just have it in your uh, project directory and just run it from the command line in, in, in that directory. Okay. But yeah, ha- having a build phase uh, script is definitely possible. You can also just have ad hoc scripts that do some, you know, some things that you want to do on your computer for automation, you know, instead of, you know, a Python script or something, you could use Swift if you if you wanted to, depending on the task. Yeah, it, it's it's pretty flexible in that way. Okay. So if I'm going to use Beak, I've got a, a Swift file on my directory, and I just, call, I, just start, I just start calling Beak commands on it instead mm-hmm. of compiling it to doing all that stuff. That's right. Okay. In the background, what it actually does, it takes this this file, which by default is called beak.swift, but you can, you can rename it to anything. It actually takes that file, creates a, a Swift package, includes that file in the Swift package, then includes any dependencies you may have defined in that big file. So at the top um, in comments, you can say, you know, include this dependency, you know, for example, Swift CLI to uh, handle um, some uh, command line tool stuff. Um, you can include that and it will make it part of that Swift package and then basically build and then run that Swift package, passing in your specific arguments. Okay. Uh, very cool. So would this replace just even building your own uh, your, your own binary if you're developing? Would, that, would you use this uh, placement? It definitely could. It's... You know, if you're building a big complex tool, it might be worth creating a real, you know, uh, project out of that. Um, but, but for simple scripts, and um, yeah, it's it's definitely an option. You you could you could definitely create your own binaries. Okay, that's very cool. No, yeah. So what I've been hacking on is like I'm creating the binary to test it, and like I don't really care about the binary because I'm just not distributing it anywhere. I'm just running it on my own machine. So Beak might be a good way to get the developer flow work moving a little faster yeah cool. and you could actually put one of these files in your in a place like user slash local slash bin you could put that file there and actually run it from anywhere and if you can even put uh, what's it called uh, a, a, a shebang is that what it's called uh, up the top to say run this like interpret this file as a big big uh, file which will basically, that means you can just run the file without even mentioning Beak, and it will know what to do with it. Okay, so you've got your, you just drop a, a Swift file somewhere in your path, and the shebang, shebang, I don't even know how to say it. I only read it. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> but you've got some identifier that says this is a, something that can be run by Beak. And so the system yes. picks up, hey, this is something we can run. And just does it, so you could have a tool mm. that you use anywhere in your system. It's just a, but it's just a Swift file that's sitting on your machine. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's a little bit. I don't know. You could maybe think about 
it's sort of like what a playground is to a real Xcode project. It's sort of a, a simple version of that, you could say. Yeah, I mean, it's useful for all, all sorts of things. It has to have little scripts that do little things for your job and things that you don't want to do five times a day to write a script, so you just run the script. So I think, no, this definitely makes Swift a more scripty type language. So that's cool to see. Yeah. So thanks for giving us an overview of your projects. Like Anything else that you want to talk about before we get to the picks? Uh, no. Yeah, I'll just tell people, yeah, go and uh, create some more things with Swift. It's a great language, and um, there's a lot of things you can do with it. And the, the sort of system and the command line tool sort of um, communities is, you know, really getting bigger, which is nice to see. You know, you've got um, Swift on the server um, is getting bigger and bigger, and now also, you know, Swift on your machine. Um, for command line tools. I think it's a really interesting space. Yeah, it's very cool. and I, I, I'm still blown away by how fast Swift, the ecosystem, is evolving. You know, even you know, Apple's one of the biggest companies in the world, but still hoisting a programming language on people. That's, that's going to be a hard thing to do, especially that see it going out of Apple's bread and butter of application development. So it, mm. it's been a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. And I don't think I'm a fanboy of Swift necessarily, but every time I go back to something else, I'm like, I really miss, I really miss this feature. You know, if I do some C sharp, I'm like, I wish I could unwrap this and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Ruby, like, I wish I had a little more type safety. So, I, you know, it's not just me being a fanboy. I think it's a really solid language, especially uh, if you're into static languages. Yeah. So cool. Let's get to the picks. What do you have for us? For you, the listeners of The iFreak Show, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at LootCrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings... Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Sure. Um, I wanted to mention a Git tool, actually. So people may be familiar with uh, Source Tree or Tower or um, Kraken, but um, maybe a lesser known one that I actually really like is called GitUp. So G-I-T-U-P. It's um, an open source app, and um, it's for interacting with Git. So it has really nice sort of branch visualization. Everything is totally accessible via keyboard shortcuts, which makes it really quick. And it has a really great sort of mm, interactive sort of rebasing and squashing commits and moving commits. And um, it's really good in sort of reorganizing your, your commits. Yeah, I really like it. And it's open source, so you can contribute. Okay, so it's a Swift GUI that you can fire off from the command line? 
Uh, no, it's actually. I think I think it's written in Objective C actually, but it's just a native Mac app. Okay. Yep. Uh, what's your favorite command line that you can use for that? Git in general on command line. I'm, I use iTerm too. Okay. Very cool. Uh, any other picks? I would point people to that Xcode build settings reference document that Apple has on their help site. So, yeah, we can put that in the yeah drop in, in the, the show notes. This. In the, in the Skype, we'll do that. I just realized I said Swift interface, which made no sense, which is why everyone's yeah. so confused back there. That was the uh, confusion. <laughs> <laughs> I meant Git interface that you can do some command line stuff with. Yes. Uh, okay. Sure. Awesome. Yeah. We'll throw a link in the show notes so anyone listening can find it. And I always I, I always look for that. And I, I can never remember what it's called. And like, there's always these one thing I can't remember what they are, and I need to look them up. So it'd be a cool reference. Mm. All right. So... I've got one pick today. I'm going to do, you know, everyone says they're looking for a rock star programmer, but how do you tell if you're a rock star programmer, right? Like, the, do you know, do you like vomit in, in the bathroom? Or something like that? I don't know, do you like overdose on drugs or whatever? I don't know. How can you say you're a rock star programmer? But now there's a way you can do it. You can become a certified rock star programmer uh, because someone Dylan Beatty, I'm not sure who. I'm not exactly sure who this is. Created a rock star programming language, and uh, yes. you, you can make this. This made the rounds a little bit a few weeks ago, but it's pretty entertaining. Um, you can actually make a program run and sound like a your favorite hair metal, your favorite hair metal song. So I'll put a link to it. It's pretty entertaining, and hopefully someday you can get certified so you can tell people I'm a certified rock star programmer. <laughs> Great. I'll, I'll have to play with that. I haven't checked it out yet. So that's my pick. Uh, Jonas, if people want to get a hold of you, how can they find you? Probably Twitter is the best place. So it would be at Jonas Cole, which is Y-O-N-A-S-K-O-L-B. That's the same handle I use on GitHub, so you can find me there too. Uh, yeah. Very cool. Well, thanks for coming out and talking about the projects, and we'd, I would definitely appreciate your work on it and creating these things. These are These are cool tools, and I know big teams are using them and people are I'm hearing more and more about them so thanks a lot and thanks for coming on the show uh, thank you so much thanks for having me on alright for everyone else we'll see you next time bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly the world's fastest CDN deliver your content fast with Cashfly visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more <laughs>